Morning, everybody. I've been given a PowerPoint jobby. It means I've got a PowerPoint to try and cope with as well as talking to you all. So I will try and keep up with myself and not get lost with my PowerPoint and my notes and too many things. So we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this bit is the second part of looking at our relationships with each other. So Greg covered some stuff last week. And we're looking at the next bit today. So I'm going to start just by reading the passage. This is Matthew 5. Where am I pointing? Over there. Nothing happens. Maybe I'm too far away, Jeff. (laughs) There's not that many. Oh, no, now we've gone far too. Go back one. I hate PowerPoint. Um, Let's just read the passage. The first two slides are just uh, the passage on the screen. So this is Matthew 5, 33 to 48. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard, it that, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy, sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. (laughs) There's quite a lot in there. I'm sure we could speak for two or three Sundays on each one, and I've got all three. So I'm just going to bring together some of my thoughts I'm sure I won't cover everything. I'm sure I won't be quite as scholarly as Greg was last week. But um, let's just look through this passage together. And maybe you'll take away some things to kind of ponder on and and think about over the the days and weeks ahead. So as we've said, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is quite early in Jesus' ministry. And, you know, he gathers this big crowd of people and he stands on a mountain and he shares. And I think this is one of the longest sermons that's recorded that, you know, Jesus stood there and and preached. We've got other bits of snippets of what Jesus said, but this is kind of the longest big chunk. And it's really practical. It's not about telling us what to believe. It's about guiding how we live, how we should be. Um, One of the commentaries I was reading was talking about C.S. Lewis, and apparently C.S. Lewis likened the Sermon on the Mount to being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer. Not sure I'd go quite that far. But it's really practical stuff, and it's tough stuff. You know, we looked at, last week, we were looking at murder, adultery, divorce. This is tough stuff. 
Stuff that really impacts how we live our life and how we react to situations. Jesus is calling us to live his way. And that's why I think it's great that the, top, the, the title we've given to this um, series, My Way or Yours. How do we look at Jesus' way? So we started off with the Beatitudes, which we spent quite a long time looking through the back end of last year. Um, Jesus spoke about us being salt and light. He spoke about the fact he came to fulfill the law. And now we're looking at our relationships with each other. So we had the three last week from Greg, and today we're looking at the next three. So the oaths, the eye for an eye, which is about retaliation and about loving our enemies. And we've got this same repeating pattern of Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. So it's carrying on this set of six with this same pattern of Jesus, you know, stating the law, then explaining it, and then giving us a practical application for it. And it harks back to the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament. And Jesus isn't binning the Old Testament, absolutely not. He's expanding on it. And he's saying that the law isn't just about being legalistic, but it's about looking at the spirit of the law and what our moral obligations are, the moral ramifications of how we should interpret the law. And Greg reminded us last week something really important. All people are made in the image of God. And when we're dealing with our relationships with other people, we need to remember that all people, whether we like them or not, are made in the image of God. And also, and thanks Rob for bringing this topic up in so many of the songs this morning. Where's Rob gone? Oh, there you are. About love. It's all about love. And Matthew 22, 36 to 40 says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's all about love. Not the slushy, mushy, red roses kind that's going to be thrust at us on February the 14th. It's not that. That's great. has its place. This is an active choice to behave lovingly towards other people. And we'll come back to that in a bit. Oh, sorry, dry throat. So let's have a look at the first one. If we have the next um, slide, please, Jeff. I've been singing too loud, my throat's going. Um, So oaths, you have heard that it was said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. And then Jesus says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. And I don't think here Jesus is telling us never, ever to promise anything. There's situations in life where we have to make promises. For example, like doctors in the medical profession, you make the Hippocratic Oath. I don't know what the contents of that is. I'm just aware it exists. Um, I'm sure people like Pat and Pauline and people medical will kind of understand what I, you know, the contents of the Hippocratic Oath. If we ever have to stand up and do anything in court, you have to make an oath that you're going to tell the truth. People making solemn vows on a wedding day. You know, there are times in life when we make promises, and that's okay. Like, Jesus isn't telling us to bin everything and never promise anything. But what he's saying is about when people kind of add the extra fluff to try and 
try and tell you they're telling the truth by adding extra gumph to it. For example, when somebody says, oh, I swear by my life I'm going to do this, or your pinky promise, or this kind of random stuff that adds fluff to what we say. You know, in the Old Testament, it was wrong to make false vows. There's loads of warnings scattered throughout the Old Testament in um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Warnings about making false oaths and false vows and not fulfilling them, especially where they used to invoke the name of the Lord. You know, in Exodus 20, the third commandment tells us not to misuse the name of the Lord. So it's kind of this juxtaposition, isn't it, between like, there's stuff we have to promise, but Jesus is telling us don't make oaths. Um, And this is one of the commentaries. I'm just going to read this straight out of here because I couldn't word it any better. In the time of Jesus, making oaths had become popular. What was originally a vow to make a solemn covenant before the Lord, as seen in Psalm 76, had developed into a widespread problem of making oaths. In people's routine, everyday communication with each other, they would make oaths to convince each other of the truth and sincerity of their words. But the rabbis had developed a complicated system for determining whether or not those oaths had to be kept. Generally, it was considered that only oaths made in the name of God had to be kept. Swearing by the gold of the temple, the throne of God, the people, his footstool, the rocks in the wall of Jerusalem sounded very impressive, but weren't considered binding. In those cases, people could say whatever they wanted and break their words because they had an out. So it seems in the, on the historical context, Jesus is prohibiting this kind of stuff. And he brings out these four things. Don't swear on heaven or earth or Jerusalem. Don't swear on your own head. He's making promises with no intention to keep them. You know, I don't know whether kids, kids in the playground, you used to promise stuff with your hands, you know, fingers crossed behind your back, which meant you didn't have to do it. Apparently that's still quite commonplace in America. Um, it's this kind of stuff. It's about saying we're going to do something with absolutely no intention to fulfill it, trying to find a way out. Jesus' followers are marked by honesty and integrity and truthfulness. In a world that's full of deceit and lies, we need to stand out as people that tell the truth. You know, once upon a time, back in the day, I did a law degree, believe it or not. About halfway through my law degree, I realised it wasn't a profession I wanted to go anywhere near. But partly because I learned about what it meant to be a barrister. So the barristers are the ones in funny wigs that stand up in court and prosecute and defend and argue. And I was basically told that as a barrister, you just get the next case, like a taxi rank thing. You just get the next case. And you could be defending someone you know is innocent. No, you know is guilty. Or prosecuting someone you know is innocent. Because you just get the next one and you have to do your best to argue it. And I'm like, that just didn't sit right with me. How can I stand there and go, I'm going to argue that you're innocent when I know you're guilty. Like, the morality of that is just odd to me. We need to be people who tell the truth, not who stand up and argue against the truth. We need to be people who say what we mean and mean what we say. Don't try and deceive people. Don't make vows, oaths and promises we've got no intention of keeping. And when we do make promises, we need to keep them. When we say yes or no, we should mean it without additional words, phrases, bump and fluff to try and convince people we're being honest. And if we use language to try and deceive people, that's not, as God, and that's not of God. 
That's not of God. If it's not of God, then it's of the devil. Challenging stuff. So the next one, an eye for an eye. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. I've I've always struggled with this. Always struggled with this. And I was looking back at the laws in Exodus. Um, So I've got a couple of verses from the Old Testament. So Exodus 21, verse 24. Um, This is a passage about kind of laws of personal injury and how to deal with them. And it says, if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. Gosh, that's a long list, isn't it? Um, And Leviticus 24, verse 19 and 20 says similar. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Now, these verses are not advocating retaliation and revenge. It's about making sure that any recompense is not excessive compared to the original situation that happened. You know, it's about justice. Any punishment, any retribution fits the original injury. Don't retaliate with something worse. And our legal system, back to my law degree, our legal system is still based on these ideas. The punishment fits the crime. Like, you don't get life in prison for speeding, thankfully. But equally, you know, a murderer doesn't just get a slap on the wrist and told to get on with his life. The punishment fits the crime. And there's a justice system that deals with that. But I think Jesus is not just talking about that, or maybe even not talking about that at all. He's talking about our personal retribution when somebody does us wrong. Isn't it so easy when somebody wrongs you to go, I'm going to get you back. Who's ever suffered from road rage? Somebody being honest. We've got at least one, two honest people in the room. Somebody cuts you up and you're, I'm going to get you. Like, we shouldn't be looking for that kind of personal retribution. These laws back in Leviticus and Exodus are also not a blanket permission to have to retaliate to get your bone back from what they originally did to you. There's no... An eye must be repaid with an eye. And I think the Jews got a little bit caught up in that. They were a little bit like, that eye has to be, it must be. And Jesus is saying, no. Retaliation shouldn't be our first response. If someone slaps you, don't slap them but turn the other way. Don't don't retaliate at all. If an injustice or an offence is done, don't respond by trying to get your own back. If someone wants your shirt, give them your coat. And I was reading about, you know, a coat was a much more valuable garment. You know, your coat gives you protection. You can use it as a blanket to sleep under, all that kind of stuff. If someone tries to get your shirt, give them your coat. It's about not just not getting your own back, but doing extra to reflect good into those situations. Someone asks you to go one mile, go two So it's not just about not being revengeful. It's about going 
above and beyond to reflect goodness and love into our situations with other people. And don't get me wrong, this is not about being a doormat. Like, this is not about us sitting there and taking wrong stuff. You know, if things are genuinely wrong, they need to be dealt with in a proper way. So I'm not saying we should be doormats. We need to stand up for what is right and what is just. There are times we need to take a stand and advocate for justice in our society. But it's this trend of personal retribution. Oh, I'm going to get my home back. And in an increasingly litigious society, suing people for all of mad stuff, we need to start thinking about the loving response. It's an active choice to respond in a loving way when somebody does us wrong. But again, it's a massive challenge, isn't it? Sorry, I'm challenging you all this morning to think about this stuff. And then the last bit. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Thanks, Jeff. So I think we mentioned, I mentioned this earlier, the verses from Matthew 22, which originally comes from, again, back from Leviticus, which says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the Lord's been challenging people right back from Leviticus to love your neighbor. And at the time, the Jewish people understood their neighbor to be people of their own, well, not, I suppose others as well, not just the Jews. Their neighbor was people of their own country, their own nation, their own religion. Pretty much anyone else was considered an enemy. And Jesus challenges this on more than one occasion. One thing that came to my mind was the parable of the Good Samaritan, which starts off with a question of who is my neighbor? The neighbor was the one who had mercy on the guy who was injured. But the Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. You know, Jesus is challenging their idea of who is our neighbor. And although this is earlier in, the, you know, earlier in, in Jesus' ministry, you know, Jesus is expanding this idea further. Don't just love your neighbor, love your enemies. Pray for people who persecute you. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? Pauline brought to us the end of the, the, the section on the Beatitudes about persecution and praying for people who persecute us. You know, I had the privilege a few years ago to work for Open Doors for a few months. It's the charity that, one of the charities that work with persecuted Christians. And it was really humbling to hear stories of people who are facing horrendous persecution. But they prayed as much for their persecutors as they did for themselves. You know, these people who could be killed for owning a Bible. In North Korea, kids are uh, told to rat their parents out. You know, they're given rewards if they rat their parents out for owning a Bible. There's some horrendous situations going across the world. But they wanted, when they asked for prayer, they asked for prayer for their persecutors as much as for themselves. And that really challenged me. And thankfully, we at the moment in England, we don't face an awful lot of persecution, some perhaps more than others. But compared to Christians around the world, I think we get off fairly lightly at the moment anyway. So, you know, 
I was just kind of thinking about this, and we don't really have enemies. I wouldn't say I had enemies. There's people around who do make themselves enemies. Nations make enemies. People like Putin and the guy who runs China, whose name I've forgotten because I'm rubbish at politics. Um, they're making themselves some pretty good, bad enemies at the moment. I wouldn't say I had a huge amount of enemies. So, where do we go with this? What kind of people might it be difficult for us to show love to? It's easy to love people who are like us, people who like us, people who we like. It's easy to love our friends. It's hard to love people who are different, people who we disagree with. And Jesus is calling us to be people of love, radical love. Like I said, not the mishy-squishy Valentine's Day stuff. But we're called to love like God loves us. In John 13, verse 34, it says, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So just think about for a minute, how has God loved us? While we were God's enemies, he lavished love on us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. That's the love, not saying we have to die on the cross. That's the love, that's the lavishness, the outrageousness of God's love that we need to go and share to people around us, to people who are different, people who have different beliefs, different theologies, different lifestyles, people who make mistakes, come in hurting and broken. This is the love that we need to show them. And 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So maybe you need to think about over the next few moments, few days, potentially who are your enemies, the people who persecute you? Who are the people that you don't like, you don't get on with? How do you treat people who are different to you? How do you love in those situations that are really hard? And I believe as Christians we should be known as people who act and respond lovingly in all situations. Whether or not you agree is kind of besides the point. Jesus is telling us to love. God's job is judgment. Our commandment is love. The greatest commandment is love. And if God lavished that amount of love on us, who are we to do differently to other people? And we don't want people, you know, sadly I think the world around us often sees Christians as judgmental and condescending. John, that story you shared with us at the worship meeting last week where that colleague of yours expected a judgmental response because he knew you had a faith and were a Christian. Like, isn't that sad that people expect us potentially to judge them because they think, oh, you're a Christian, you think you're better than me, therefore you're going to judge me. Like, that's the kind of stuff we need to break down. And one of the things that really struck me that I was saying to, it's not in my notes actually, I'm a bit off-piste um, to use Greg's phrase. <laughs> one thing I was talking to Peter about earlier, you know, Jesus didn't just challenge the secular world around him. He challenged the religious world around him. 
Following Jesus is being countercultural to both the secular stuff and the extreme religious stuff that shows God as judgmental and harsh and says, I don't know, stuff that isn't loving. There's some extreme versions of Christianity going around in our world at the moment, particularly in America. To live God's way, to live Jesus' way, is to show love and to be countercultural to the stuff that's not right in the world and stuff that's not right within, potentially within our own religion. So there's another challenging thing to think of. So these three things. Can I have the next slide? So is it our way? Or is it Jesus' way? Jesus wants people who are honest, full of integrity, people who are just, merciful, loving, people who show forgiveness. This is the kind of people that Jesus wants. And it's hard. It's hard. It's counterintuitive to our natural way of being as human beings. And Jesus wants our insides and our outsides to match. To love God and love others from, from our heart. It's not about show. It's about what's going on inside. I love the song we did, Majesty. Just going to open it up on my phone because I can't remember the. Here I am, humbled by the love that you give. Forgiven so that I can forgive. Here I stand, knowing I'm your desire, sanctified by glory and fire. And now I've found the greatest love of all. That's the love with which Jesus loves us. That's the love with which we need to go and share to the world around us. And just to finish, the... um, the end of this passage says about being perfect as God is perfect. And just like, that's a high calling, isn't it? We're not perfect as God is perfect. But we've got a perfect example in the person of Jesus. And I love the way that the message puts this. I'm not a big fan of the mess- the, all the stuff in the message, but I do like the way it words some of the stuff. And Matthew 5 verse 48 in the message, I'm just going to finish with this. I like the way it kind of words it. And it says... In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. Father God, we just thank you for these opportunities just to get together and explore your word and explore what you're saying to us. And God, I just pray this morning that you would just continue to challenge each one of us with how you want us to live. Lord, how we can live well and love well in each situation we come across in our life. Lord, of how we can reflect your love and your grace and your compassion to the world around us. Lord, that we can stick out, not like a sore thumb, but as a great thing, because we've got you, we've got your love. And I just pray that you would just help us to share that in the situations we face over the coming days. Amen.